Welcome in lacrosse fans to the Utah Lax Report podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. This episode features the Utah State head coach, Scott Bingham. We talk about his upbringing in lacrosse, how he got into coaching, and the 2022 Utah State Aggie squad. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, coach. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining me tonight. I, I was, you know, we were kind of uh, chatting off air here and just about your road trip and how impressive it was. And, and I kind of want to lead with that, but as just a teaser for the fans, but the first question that I ask uh, all my guests, you know, on the podcast is when did you start playing lacrosse? I started back in 2005. One of my cousins brought a pair of lacrosse sticks to a family reunion, caught my interest. And then when they announced it over the, the high school PA system, I, I went to the meeting and the rest is history. And that high school, of course, was uh, Skyview. Talk about your playing career in high school. You know, what, what position did you play? What are some of the memories that you have from those times? So I remember first picking up a stick. I, I'm not a large man by any means, you know, I'm relatively small and light. And so coach put me on attack to, to start with. And our, our deep holes were all 6'2" you know, 200 pounds plus, they were called the North and South Towers and the Wookiee, just big guys. Um, and I remember just like tucking my elbow and running around crease and taking a beating on my left arm and then getting a shot off with the right. And in a single scrimmage, you know, scored a couple of goals. Coach decided to start me at attack. The next year I moved to midfield, learned how to face off. And then my senior year, my coaches actually forgot to put me on a midfield line. And so they handed me a deep hole. I played LSM and that was probably the best year that I had as, as far as high school was concerned, just that transition gameplay. I played off and on college ball, um, kind of utility player. The first year of college that I played officially in a fall season, we needed a backup goalie. So I also got a goalie stick and I would show up to practice with two shorties, one for dodging, one for face-offs with my long pole if they wanted me to run that. And then my goalie stick and my pads, and I would switch throughout practice, just filling in wherever coach asked me to be. And, and you know, coach, those are needed these days, it feels like. I, I coach a, a sixth grade team, and we've got a couple of those, and they really come in handy when you need them. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really teaches you a lot about the different positions in the game. You know, I felt playing goalie made me a much better attackman and much better midfielder. And playing close defense in LSM actually really helped me with some of my offensive possessions, just like knowing what defenders look for, understanding how defenses are run. It just, it playing every position, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone trying to make a career out of being a lacrosse player. <laughs> sure. you, know, you should just focus on one position and really get good at that. But if you want to learn more about the game that we play, play a different position. Definitely. And, and as you go, as you went through your high school and, and college career, you know, playing all these different positions, you know, learning all these different things, I, I'm sure it helped you as you transitioned into the coaching ranks. I started coaching very, very early on. I had just graduated high school and we started with fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth graders. We started up the youth program with Skyview, which is now since just ballooned into a massive following covering all uh, five high schools that are now in the Valley. So a lot of success with that. And it was interesting for me because I was, you know, young, ambitious, emotional, you know, one of those heart coaches, you know, give it your all, you can do it, belief in everything. Now I'm a lot grumpier and more cynical. And so it's a lot more technical training versus, you know, let's, let's just believe in each other and in the spirit of the game and we can win this. 
And, and you know, that, that comes with maturity, right? As mm-hmm. you mature, your coaching matures. And in, in 2018, you, you took over at Utah State. That first year, uh, you were part of the MCLA Division One, which That's means, correct. you know, in your conference, you're going up against Colorado, Colorado State, BYU, uh, Utah at that time, you know, so, so certainly challenging. What do you remember from that first year? And, and maybe what are some lessons that you learned that you're still uh, using today? So that first year really set the tone for where the program is now. We went two and 11, we did play all those teams. Many of them have national championships under their belts at division one. And honestly, we just, we just got our asses kicked. I mean, it was really, really tough for a program like Utah state, where you look at past records that usually there's a small number at the start and a much bigger number for their, their loss column. It was kind of nothing new. And we, we had a very small team. We had 16 guys to end the season. And despite what we had gone through, I mean, losing games by 12, 15, sometimes 20 goals, all of those guys came back and they were extremely hungry. We'd spent an entire season just getting absolutely destroyed and demolished by anybody. And if anything, it just, it just hardened the team. It brought us closer together and it made us understand that if we can endure this and get through this and still be as tight and close as we are, there's no reason we can't be successful going into this next season. So we made the transition to division two. It was a team decision. We talked about it at length to use it as a developmental time to bring us back up and to, you know, really experience success and expand the program. And in 2019, that first year, we won our conference championship and, and made our first run at nationals. That's right. And, and winning the conference championship is, is an automatic qualifier in the MCLA to get you to the national tournament. You end up going to the tournament. What, what, what do you remember about that uh, tournament? You know, the first that you'd been to, what, what were some of the things that stood out to you there? I think we were a little bit blinded by the lights. Maybe the stage was, was, was too big for us at that time. Our first round matchup was North Florida, which we bowed out maybe by four or five goals. I can't remember. Very close physical game, very, very chippy. And, you know, we'd been looking ahead thinking, okay, you know, if we beat these guys, then these are some of the teams we could play next. And we really kind of viewed the path that would take us to a national title. And we sort of neglected to pay attention to what was in front of us. So we kind of paid the price on that, but we still ended very, very close knit. A lot of those same guys came back again for a third season. It really just showed us what we were capable of and that despite the hardship we'd faced the year prior, we could be successful. We could be a good team and we could be, you know, a powerhouse in the MCLA. Absolutely. And, and you've got all that momentum behind you. And then obviously 2020 comes along, you know, seasons canceled. The 2021 season has its own challenges. I, 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 if I remember correctly, you guys didn't play a full schedule last year either, just with this or that. Talk about those two years and, and what you guys did to, to keep the team together, to keep the momentum rolling. So we, we start our game schedule relatively early compared to a lot of programs throughout the MCLA. We sometimes have games as early as the tail end of January, definitely the first part of February. So we managed to get six games in before that call came in March and cancellations went through in 2020. We had been meeting with our athletic department to actually host the conference championships at Utah State. That morning when we got the call, we had actually had a meeting with our our athletic director and we squared everything away. We were like, okay, this is the lot where the food trucks will be parked. These are the vendors we can invite. This is what we can sell. This is how we'll do tickets. This is this will be the officials' tent. We covered everything. 
And we walked out to, to go to practice and within 15 minutes, they sent out a runner that's saying, Hey, everything's shut down and canceled. Send everybody home. So just, just heartbreaking. We had a few seniors that we had to say goodbye to that, that couldn't come back. And it was pretty much full stop from there. No one really knows how that season would have gone because it was just lost. In the fall of 2020, we got the green light to start practice. We tried to schedule a few scrimmages, if I remember correctly. And in 2021, everybody's schedules was basically a phone call. Can you make it? Okay, we'll see you this weekend. We, we, had a, we were in talks with Concordia Irvine to either go out there or have them come see us. I think at one point, we had another California team reach out to us. We scrimmaged BYU, we scrimmaged Utah Valley, we played Montana twice there weren't very many teams that could be active and the MCLA did do a good job of tracking the status of all the schools. You know, green meant you were good to go. Whatever was needed, yellow meant tentative limited to practices or a few scrimmages, but a majority of that spreadsheet was just red with nothing being allowed. A majority of those MCLA programs shut down and everyone just really trying to do the best they could to stay competitive, keep their program alive and, you know, do what they could to prepare for the next season if things managed to turn around, which thankfully they did. Definitely. And, and as we come into this next season, the 2022 season, your team is off to a great start. You, you know, I, I'm looking at the schedule right now and the very first game, you know, 12-7 loss to the Utah club team who's in their first year. And then the next day, a 23-8 loss to UVU. Mm-hmm. Coach, at that point, what, what was kind of going through your head? What was the morale on the team? So I actually was unable to make it to our first two games of the season. I was out on a bit of medical leave addressing some mental health issues. And so my assistant coaches, some of the alumni came in to help cover those games. And in talking with the team and in talking Coach Hunter, who took over things while I was away, you know, the the team was very hard fought. They, the Utah game in particular, they viewed as a very winnable game. And in watching film, you know, covering that, there's a few mistakes that we made especially in the fourth quarter where we gave up, I believe, six goals in Utah's comeback where they ended up taking that one off of us. As far as the Utah Valley game, it's always just a very high-scoring run-and-gun style of game. They play a different level of ball than we do. And it's also just a, a conflicting style. I, I don't know what it is about Utah Valley. We like playing them. We like their guys. We like their team. But as soon as that whistle sounds, man, something goes off in our players' heads and we just, they get to us somehow. I don't understand how it happens. Maybe it's because we've had guys from, you know, down south at Corner Canyon that have come up. So there's a lot of former teammates. There's, of course, the Battle of the Brothers that happens with Kate Arbin, Brock Arbin. Their dad, Todd, is there. There's a lot just entwined with that team. And so it, it, it does something different when we step on the field against the Wolverines. As far as the morale, I mean, a lot of these guys, this, some of the remnants that we have, there's only a few left from that 2018 season. But we all understood what it was going to take to fix things. We changed up some of our practices. We implemented some new clearing strategies. Uh, We focused on the areas where we felt were a little bit weaker. And we just did what we could to shore up the weaknesses that had been exposed by those first two games. Sure. And, and, you know, at that point, the next four games on the schedule was a week-long road trip to more or less, you know, one of the hotbeds of the MCLA Division II lacrosse, and that's heading to Minnesota. You know, on the schedule, it was North Dakota State, St. John's, St. Thomas, who's won several 
Division II championships, and then Minnesota Duluth, who's, you know, is a familiar name to those who are in the MCLA circles. Coach, I looked at that schedule and went, wow, that's super ambitious, you know, like, especially at like this point in the season. And so, you know, as we were talking earlier, I, you know, the very first game, it's a Monday, you beat North Dakota State 11 to four, you know, and I'm sitting there at home looking at Twitter going, wow, that's a great, that's a great result, right? What, mm-hmm. tell us about that game. Uh, you know, what, what, what led to that, uh, that score? So with North Dakota State, we weren't entirely sure what to expect on this trip. We knew that it was going to be tough and challenging, but it was also a unique experience for us. I don't think very many of our guys had ever been to Minnesota before. We weren't sure what style of lacrosse they played. We were pretty sure they were going to be pretty chirpy because of the hockey upbringing that a lot of those guys have. But with North Dakota State, we'd had a little bit of film review. We sort of knew what we were going into. And right out of the gates, they hit us with a 10-man ride. Mm. which to touch on Utah Valley, like Utah Valley just beats the snot out of us with their 10 man ride. And compared to what we have seen, we had the answers for what North Dakota state wanted to do with their 10 man. I mean, our very first goal came from Boston Priestler, our goalie. He took, I think about a a 60 yard shot, put it in the back of the net and our bench just lost their minds. (laughs) So it, it, a lot of what North Dakota state brought to us wasn't necessarily anything new. They like to play an up-tempo style of game. I think they were very frustrated by the type of defense that we presented. And it, it, we just recognized that, okay, not only have we seen what they've done, it's not really anything new. We know how to play against this. We know how to beat this. And so we, we put that game away. We, we just did what we could, ran our, ran our offense, ran our defense, executed the game plan, and, and came away with a big W. You know, there's there's few things that uh, get me more excited than a goalie goal against a ten man ride, coach. Yeah, I think that's the. I think Boston told me that was the first goal he's ever scored in his career, and so he has technically a hundred percent shooting percentage. <laughs> awesome, I love yeah. it. You know, then the, there's a quick turnaround. Obviously, that's just part of MCLA MCLA life. But the next mm-hmm. day, you play St. John's, who's a traditional D two powerhouse, end up getting those guys seven to six. What 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 came out of that game? So we, St. John's was one of the games we managed to get in 2020 before the shutdown and they beat us eight up in Bozeman, Montana. So we understood, at least that was the first introduction we had to what the upper Midwest lacrosse conference was like. Just these guys were just so good. And they, they just had this chemistry that was unbelievable because they've played together for years. They were just on a, a different level entirely from where we were then. So we understood going into it that these teams were going to be tough. And St. John's in particular, because we'd played them before, we knew what their program was like. We knew the level of skill that they had, you know, sitting on their bench and, and playing on the field. And that, that game was a grind. It was a, a defensive grind there. St. John's defense was phenomenal. And it was a, a solid match for ours. I mean, it was just a very long, drawn out, patient, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of game. And it was a slugfest. Not very many goals traded, but, you know, a very, very close game. I think when we look at the schedule that we played, St. John's was probably the second best team that we played while we were in Minnesota. Absolutely. Hey, coming away with the 7-6 win. And that Wednesday, I believe if I followed the Instagram stories correctly, you ended up at the Mall of America with the team. Probably a great team building event. Then, cool. then 
<laughs> I, I'm sure I, you know, it's on the bucket list for sure. The next day you take on St. Thomas, number one team in MCLU D2. Tell us about that game is you know, specifically the, the last couple goals. So St. Thomas is kind of the final boss, the big bad, the one that has the number one next to the name every year. You just, you see that, that purple and white and you just know that it's crisp, clean lacrosse, well-structured, organized, no hesitation. I mean, these, these guys are seven time national champions, I believe kind of a daunting task. You know, this was, this was Goliath. This was the King. And I had a conversation with Boston, the goalie that took the NDSU game, you know, before St. Thomas. And I said, you know what? I've, I've never killed a King before. And he said, well, let's, let's go get him. Let's, let's take this King down. So St. Thomas with that game at the very, from the very first whistle, we thought, okay, yeah, they're definitely the best team in the country. They, they put two goals up on us very, very quickly. So a quick 2-0 for St. Thomas. But then the script was flipped and we went up 4-2. to two. And then they tied it. And then we went up another goal. And then we put in another goal. And then they went up by two. And in the final stages of that game, we've been trading these, these body blows back and forth. It, there's like a minute and 30 left in the fourth quarter. St. Thomas is up by two goals. They have possession of the ball. They call timeout. I don't know what, what exactly they plan to do, but Boston came off of the side or he came off the field from cage and he said, coach, let's run mad dogs. Mad dogs is a defensive scheme. We pull the goalie out of the cage. He locks off an attackman and we put two of our best lockdown defenders on the ball. Every time we have run Mad Dogs in practice, it has never worked. And so we have yet to pull it out in a game except for then. So my first response was absolutely not. But then in retrospect, thinking about it, you know, we're down two goals. There's a minute 30 left. We literally have nothing to lose. Why not? Let's do it. And the whistle blew. And three seconds later, we had the ball back and transitioned down to offense, called a timeout. With 47 seconds left in the game, we scored our first goal and we win the ensuing faceoff, get it down. And with 23 seconds left in the game, we got our second goal to tie it up. After that, it was just a bit of a stalemate, you know, grind it out. Don't let them get a shot off. Keep it, keep it close and go into overtime and see what we can do from there. And that's when, you know, the excitement really started to build for the team. We don't, I don't think we felt pressure. We just felt you know, if we've made it this far, if we've managed to do this with the best team in the nation, with St. Thomas, there's no reason we can't win this and, and just take this whole thing. And then as, as uh, overtime ensued, you get that game-winning goal. What was going through your mind as that ball went in? So St. Thomas actually got the ball first in overtime, and they got a shot off, which Boston stopped, made a huge stop in the overtime, and we got it back down to our offense and – called another timeout, used our one for overtime. And Hunter, our offensive coordinator, pulled the guys in and, and gave them a, a brief layout of what he wanted and said, listen, I don't care if you follow this game plan or not. I just need you to do something. We need to open up something within their defense. So whether you stick to the plan or you don't, we just need you guys to find an opening. We go back out there, start to run the offense, and Hunter Combe takes this shot, which from the bench, it looked like the worst angle. It looked like his <laughs> defender was right on his hip. It didn't look like, you know, it was, it had any chance of going in because their goalie had been on fire the entire game. And then you see 
that little flex at the, the back of the net as the ball makes contact and our guys just lost their minds. They stormed the field. They didn't know whether to jump on Hunter or go jump on Boston. We were all over the place, um, hugging everybody, screaming. And Boston found me throughout all the players again. And he said, hey, we just, we just slayed a king. And I said, yeah, yeah, we did, man. So it was a, it was a phenomenal moment. I mean, we were over the moon when, when we managed to pull that off. And then the next day followed up with a 12-6 win over Minnesota Duluth, capping off a perfect 4-0 road trip. That's, that's not easy to do, Coach. No, it, it was not. And I think a big advantage that we had going into this that none of us really even considered to be a factor was honestly the elevation. Hmm. Our, our guys were like, man, I can, I can breathe so well here. Guys would run with everything they had on the field come off gassed and within 30 seconds they were recovered and good to go again. So that might've been a factor. I don't know. We've also spent a lot of time, especially during the first part of the season with our practices, working on our conditioning, our legs and our lungs, because we knew going into this trip in particular, the biggest enemy was going to be exhaustion and weariness. And it definitely paid off. You're about midway through the season, got two home games coming up this weekend against Northern Arizona and Montana State. This podcast will actually be released after those games happen, but tell us about those games anyway, Coach, and, and kind of what uh, you expect out of those two teams this weekend. So our goal and my goal with putting together Utah State's schedule each and every single year has been to just raise the level of competition that we're facing. That's a big reason why we made the Minnesota trip. And for as many top tier teams as we can manage to meet up with and play, we're going to put them on the schedule. We don't care who it is. We just want to play the best that the MCLA has to offer because whether we win or we lose, we're going to learn something from that game to improve the way that we approach it. So with Northern Arizona and with Montana state with this weekend, you know, while we did have a phenomenal four and a week in Minnesota, we can't necessarily rest on that. And we can't rely on that success to carry us through this next weekend. A big part of it also has been having the right mentality. When we played St. Thomas, we told our guys, you know what? The pressure is not on you to perform. The pressure is not on us. No one expects anything from us while we're out here. If anything, the pressure is on St. Thomas to show us and everyone else why they're number one. So our guys didn't feel that exhaustion that comes when you put a lot of anxiety and stress on yourself for a big game. And we've tried to instill that same mentality as we go into this next weekend with Northern Arizona and Montana State. The mentality and ideology that we've adopted is that we want to improve upon the performance that we had in Minnesota. We didn't play perfectly. We had dropped passes. We had failed clears. We had missed shots. We had missed opportunities. We had some very, very close games. We did not play our best lacrosse while we were visiting the UOMLC. So if we can improve just a little bit from how we did the week prior, we'll consider this weekend a success regardless of what the outcome is with those games. That's a, a great philosophy as, as you enter into these games. It's the first two games out of a six-game homestand. After this weekend, you've got Northwest Nazarene, Southern Utah, who's an upstart program. Awesome to see them mm-hmm. put together a team, College of Idaho, Wyoming, and then a final road trip to Colorado to face the Air Force Academy Club and Colorado Mines. Mm-hmm. As you look at your team, Coach, who are, who are some of the players that, that stand out to you? Who are some of the players that – 
you know, the casual fan should, uh, should know. One of them is Hunter Comby, who I believe is responsible for the back end of the MCLA site, because I believe we're missing a game on our, on the site schedule hmm. with Boise state. So I'm going to have a word with him, and make sure. <laughs> but he is just an explosive player. If he's anywhere near the crease, he has to be locked up because if he gets even just a little bit of space, a little bit of opening, the stick, the ball's going to end up in his stick and he's going to put it in the cage somehow. He's also a transition player. He can play defense, very, very physical, very, very aggressive, not a big guy, but just he's going to give everything he has when he's on the field. Another one is our team captain and president, Spencer Bishop. We call him Deke. I don't remember why, but he's another transition midfielder. He's solid on offense. He's solid on defense. He's one of those guys that teams feel the need to put the long pole on, even though he hasn't done anything yet. Our stats don't reflect the way that our offense plays. We try to put six scorers on the field at a time. And so we don't care who finds the back of the net. We just care that it happened in the first place on the defensive end we've got three three or four phenomenal poles Caden Underwood is a phenomenal close defenseman he's probably the best the single best one-on-one matchup defender within the MCLA for really any division doesn't matter who we stick him on that guy's going to be shut out for the entirety of the game whether he dodges or not in cage we've been swapping between two goalies Boston Priestler Berkeley Baskin they split games while we were in Minnesota we're going to try and keep up that trend as we move throughout the season. They're good at different things. They're they're good at different shots and different play styles. And so we try to match up our goalies with the opposition that we're facing. With the attackmen, they're led by Brock Arbin, who is just a phenomenal player. He doesn't say very much unless you know him particularly well. And on the field, he lets his gameplay do the talking. He's surprisingly quick. He's got the best six skills on the team. And he's able to take it to the cage himself or just create opportunities for other guys. So honestly, there's an entire roster of guys to keep an eye on. We have so much depth and potential and ability within our team that really, no matter who's on the field, you're going to want to watch what they're going to do. Definitely. And as I look over the roster here, coach online, uh, a couple of things stand out. One is that it's probably the healthiest Utah state roster that Utah State's had in a long time in, in terms of just numbers. You've got a, a squad here, coach, you know, usually yeah. you come to the side and there's maybe 20, 22 names, but you know, just a great list of players here. And then you've got a wide array. You've got kids from Georgia, Illinois, Colorado, mm-hmm. and obviously a bunch from Utah. When you, when, when kids say they're interested, when they reach out to you and say, Hey coach, I'm interested in playing lacrosse at, at Utah State. What's sort of your pitch? What's, what's sort of the, you know, the elevator pitch to, to really hook the, hook the hook the kids so they come out and play. The first part is getting to know them and what they're looking for in a program. And we always put a huge emphasis on the education side of things. We want these kids to understand that they are student athletes. And there's a reason that student comes first, that if they're going to come to Utah State, that they're coming here for the education and for a program they want to pursue. Because if something happens and the athletic lacrosse side of it doesn't work out, they're still here for the right reasons. That's one of the big sells and one of the, the first things that we bring up. And parents absolutely love that kind of that comment, that conversation. Another big part is what they hope to achieve with their collegiate career, whether they want to compete, whether they want to play. And if, if that lines up with what they want, then absolutely come to us. We try to play everyone on our roster. We try to get everybody time in some way, shape or form. 
And the way that we've progressed over the last several seasons, we are finding more and more success on the lacrosse field. And it's, it's reflecting in the kids that we're starting to attract and the talent that we're starting to bring in. There's a reason our roster is the size that it is. We have guys that are coming back for consecutive seasons, something that Utah State has historically struggled with. And we have new guys that are coming in and feeding into the current talent that we have. We're looking at the long-term plan for Utah State. And when I talk to kids, we make them a promise. We say the expectation is for you to come in and make our program better. And our promise is that when you come to us, we're going to make you better. The goal is always to leave the Utah State program a little bit better than you found it. And I think so far, the guys that have come and gone have been very successful in that regard. Another big selling point is our dues. We have probably some of the easiest lacrosse dues within the MCLA. I believe our guys currently pay $900 for the season, a one-time new player fee of like $360, maybe $325 for their helmet, for gear, sweet swag, anything that we're doing for the team that season. But for most other programs that aren't treated as a varsity program, kids are paying $2,400, $3,600. So we try to be as accommodating to the students as much as we are to the athletes that come to Utah State. That's impressive. That's certainly the lowest that I've ever heard for MCLA dues. So good on you, coach. That's awesome. Like you mentioned, you're, you're building a program. You, you're in your fifth year, which we joked about may be the longest tenured <laughs> Utah State coach yeah. uh, in, in recent memory. So congratulations, coach, on the early success this year. And anything else you want to mention or talk about before we wrap up? I don't think so. I mean, the, the program seems to be in a good state. We're trying not to pay attention to what the rankings currently say. It's just a number. It doesn't matter to us. But our sights are on the long game. And the goal from the get-go as far back as 2018, when we first started and we're just getting whooped by everyone that we, we met on the field, the goal was always the same, to, to improve upon the program and eventually make our way to a national title. And whether this is the year we do it or not, eventually we're going to get there. Well, coach, best of luck this season. Hopefully it is, you know, as, as fans of lacrosse in Utah, we'll, we'll all be cheering for you and we'll, uh, we'll see you on the sidelines. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you.